Good morning. It's great to see uh, each and every one of you and, and wherever Emily went. Thank you so much for, for sharing your heart. Uh, it's been a sweet time of worship already, and I'm certainly uh, sensitive to just what God is already saying in our midst. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited to share this message. And I just want to let you know that it's even the application of this message has already happened today in our time together. We've been speaking the last few weeks about being in a deep and wide community, about being a community that's together, a community that is united under God by our brothers and sisters in Christ, by Jesus on the cross. And man, I felt in our time of worship this morning and even in testimony that God's spirit was uniting us together. Did you feel it? Did you sense that, sense that this morning? Well, if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 10. I want to share the last message in this series, a community together, a community together. Uh, Two weeks ago, we talked about a wide community, a community that comes together from different backgrounds, different people, different ethnicities, different ages, and we come together together through what Jesus has done on the cross as a new people, a new humanity, a new family, brothers and sisters who may have no biological relation, but through the blood of Jesus, we have a spiritual family. Uh, Last week, we talked about a deep community, a community that has deep relationships, but also is willing to do sacrificial things for one another. As Jesus is the model, he laid down his life for us. He gave a commandment. He gave a new command that we are to love one another. And part of that loving of one another is to lay down our lives for our friends, for our family. That can mean giving up preferences or opinions. It can mean doing things that maybe we're not so willing to do all the time. But because we're in this community, this deep community together, we sacrifice for one another. Well, this morning, I want to finish this series about being gathered together, being with one another, because we can certainly be a wide community with lots of different people, and we can be a deep community with lots of different relationships, but part of being a community means that we have actually, on a regular, consistent basis, come together, that we have gathered together. A good friend of mine, he's a few years older than me. Actually, he's old enough to be my dad. Uh, He's a part of a club that I'm not a member of. Uh, He lives in northern Kentucky where my wife and I lived for several years and he became one of my friends. He is in an elk hunters club. Any of you involved in elk hunters club membership? Okay, one member. All right, we got one local chapter member here in Hardin County. But I didn't know this, but apparently elk hunting is quite fascinating. It's a very exciting kind of hunt. I'm not a hunter. You can probably tell by the things I will say in the next few few minutes. I've never been on a hunt. I didn't grow up hunting. I don't own a gun. I own a fishing pole. That's as close as I get to hunting. And any real hunter will tell you fishing is not hunting and hunting is not fishing. But I'm not a hunter. So everything I know about this hunter's club comes from my friend, but he is an enthusiastic hunter. He likes to talk about his club. Uh, They actually have a 
lodge they meet in. It's just like what you would think. It's an old dingy building full of animal skins. That's what it is. Things hung on the wall and certainly uh, trophies of all of their hunts. But every month they get together in the elk hunter's lodge to talk about elk hunting. And there is this energy around the hunt. They go on hunts together, sometimes in Kentucky, sometimes other places. They talk about guns and the things you need on a hunt. Apparently they tell stories about previous hunts. Uh, Younger members, the the youngins, the green hunters will come in and they'll get around the old, particularly men. There are a few women in the hunter's lodge, but they kind of tell stories and pass on traditions and talk about all the things they need and maybe even exaggerate a little bit about the hunts they've been on. Now, I ask you this question. My friend has been in this club 30, 40 years, pays an annual membership to be in this club, has jacket that's got the insignia of the hunter's lodge that he wears proudly. I ask you, could he still go on a hunt for elk without being in this group? Of course he could. There's no law against hunting alone. There's no law against being a elk hunter in isolation. But the reason he loves to hunt elk and the reason he loves to be in the elk hunter's lodge is because there's this shared Vision, this shared enthusiasm, this shared excitement around hunting. And year after year, that shared enthusiasm stirs them to continue being a part of the group. Could he do it alone? Yes. In his words, but he would never do it alone. Because there's something about being with others who have that same interest that keeps him excited about being an elk hunter. There is something about being in the group. There's something about being in the club. There's something about being in the lodge. Certainly you can hunt alone, but there is an enthusiasm. There is a passion. There is a stirred interest. There is a keeping with everything that's going on because you're there. You're connected. And in the same way, but infinitely more, When we come together as brothers and sisters in Christ, when we gather together as a community, we are ignited and we are stirred and we are brought together under the passion of Christ and the banner of Jesus. And there's something that happens. There's something that's being formed in us and it encourages us in our faith. And it can be that the gathering together of brothers and sisters in Christ is what keeps us on the walk of faith. Can you be a Christian without gathering with other Christians? Yes, you can. You certainly can. Because your faith is not tied to your attendance. But I will tell you, that those who try to walk the journey of faith alone are much, much more susceptible from walking away. Because the gathering together is what strengthens and encourages and uplifts for us to stay in this journey for the duration. Now, the book of Hebrews speaks about this. And I would say to you, the book of Hebrews is a unique part of the Bible. It's part of the New Testament. And without 
going into all the biblical commentaries, we don't really know who the author is. Some have suggested it's the Apostle Paul. Some have suggested it's uh, the gospel writer Luke. Others have suggested it's some unknown individual who just happens to have an enormous amount of familiarity with the Old Testament because the whole book of Hebrews, which is really a single sermon, is a historical walking from Jewish background to now Christian life. It's the bridge between what was formerly the Jewish religion and the Jewish thinking and the Jewish practice of life into what now Christian life and practice would be. And so if you study Hebrews, it's very dense. It's actually very hard at times to work through because none of us have an enormous history with the Jewish faith. But the audience of the Hebrews did. Even the name of the book, Hebrews, is in reference to the Israelite people, the Jewish people, the Hebrews. But as the author points to something new in Christ, it gathers also something that we certainly know about gathering together, being together, a community together. I'm going to begin reading in chapter 10, uh, just six verses, verse 19 through 25. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 25. The author of the Hebrews writes these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he has opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us not excuse me and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near <clears throat> Just six verses in our passage this morning. And in those six verses, the plural term us, we, our, brothers, sisters, together is mentioned 13, 14, 15 times, depending on how you count. There is no doubt these verses are meant for a body gathered together, a group gathered together, a family that is united together. This is a us message. This is an us word of scripture. And from that, we have encouragements for us. And I'm going to try to take the encouragements from these words for us at Valley Creek, us together as this faith family. And I just want to mention three things for us. There are other encouragements, but let me try to summarize just three. One of the things I think this passage certainly has for us is the invitation to let us draw near together. Let us draw near together. Morning, this morning, friends, 
Brothers and sisters, we drew near to the very throne of God together. Amen? Amen? We, we can say amen, us, together. Can we say it amen? That's an us moment. Yes, us. The invitation here, the invitation to the original audience, the Hebrew people, would be an invitation to draw near to God, draw near to his holy presence. Now you got to think with me here. Walk with me just a minute. Let me, let me just for a moment try to help illustrate why this is such a big deal for these people to hear. Because in the time of the Jewish religion, the way they worship God, would they, they gathered together in a temple, predominantly the temple in Jerusalem, and in these courts with enormous numbers of people, there would be a distance between them and God. The presence of God would be dwelling in the place called the Holy of Holies. And even in this passage, it's referencing the holy place. But there would be a curtain, a curtain that was often referred to as the veil that would be separating God's presence from God's people. And we know in Jesus's death on the cross, one of the impacts was that the veil, the curtain between God's presence and God's people was ripped in half. By his death, there became access to go and be in the presence of God. For the Jewish people, the priests would only go into this holy place one time a year on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And he would make sacrifice for the entire nation, but they didn't have access. They certainly brought their offerings and laid them at the altar. They certainly saw the smoke Go before the Lord, but the Jewish people would never be able to have access to the presence of God. They would always be on the outside looking in. But what does the author of Hebrews say about the Christian, about the man and woman, the thing that Jesus has done on the cross? He invites us and encourages us. To draw near to God. He says in verse 19, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. We have access, he says in verse 20, by this faith, by the new and living way that Christ has opened for us through the curtain. and says that we have a great high priest, Jesus, who invites us Join into the house of God. Friends, let me say to you and invite you and draw us together. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross, because of what Jesus did in his death and resurrection, we who were once separated from a holy God because of our sin, we've been forgiven and made clean and we can draw near to the very presence of God, the authority and magnificent power of God. We don't have to be afraid. We draw near together in worship. I mean, that's what we've done this morning. That's what we're doing right this very moment. We get to draw near together. We get to draw near and be in the presence of God. We don't have a curtain separating us between God's presence. We don't have to rely on a priest to go before us. But because of Christ Jesus and his death on the cross, his resurrection, because of God's spirit living in each and every one of you, you and I together can draw near to God. 
Yes, we can sing that he is a good, good father. We can sing that he is full of love and compassion. And we can lay our worship and our hearts before him, knowing that God hears our prayers. He knows our hearts. Friends, we get to draw near together. Paul writes about this assurance and this confidence in Ephesians chapter 3 whenever he says to those believers, this was according to the eternal purpose that God has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Friends, you and I get to praise God's name together. We get to pray to him directly together. We get to hear his word preached together. We get to sense the power of his spirit together. We get to be still and know that he is God together. We get to shout praises and that's okay, everybody. It's okay to shout from time to time. Shout praises because of God's goodness in our life. We get to give our offerings and make sacrifice and bow our knees and lift our hands to him in knowing that we draw near to God together. God's spirit is among us and he is praised by his people. Amen. We get to do that together. Can you do that alone? Yes, you can. You can. But the stirring and the power and the intensity and the interest when you come together with your brothers and sisters, I would suggest stir something in you when we come together to worship and draw near. Let me give you a second thing. We certainly can draw near together, but we also can hold the faith together. Let us hold the faith together Verse 23, the writer says, let us hold fast. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Let us hold fast together. Now, I want to step away from being a preacher for a minute and just be a friend for a minute, a brother in Christ for a minute. And I want to ask you a serious question. I don't want you to answer out loud or raise a hand. I just want you to think. I want to ask you a serious question. Have you ever struggled to keep your faith? You ever struggled to keep hold of your confession to Christ? Possibly you came to faith early in your life and there was a period of drifting away. Or you went through a really, really difficult season. And hope seemed to escape you. Maybe a crisis hit in your family, someone passed away, and your faith began to weaken, became to be less a part of your life. It might sound strange to hear from me, but I can tell you I've walked through that journey a time or two. I'm not embarrassed to say it. Probably the greatest struggling period of my faith was while I was actually in seminary preparing to be in ministry. But it wasn't the only time. I've been walking with the Lord for over 30 years and I will assure you there have been seasons 
where my faith was weakened. I'm not saying it ever died or ever went completely away, but it certainly wasn't growing, certainly not thriving. And one of the ways that God brings his people out of those seasons, one of the ways that God's spirit works in the hearts of those that are going through a struggle is by being together with other believers. I mean, sometimes we come to this place out of a ritual, out of an obligation, out of a sense of obedience, and we are setting in God's house with God's people, but God isn't really stirring in our hearts. But something will be said or somebody will sing a song or some word will be preached or somebody will pray and someone will come and grab your hand. You don't even know why, but God's spirit moves in God's people. And for that reason, your faith, which would be possibly at its weakest point, we be rejuvenated by being together with God's people in God's house, hearing God's word, hearing God's praise. I can't explain it. It doesn't always make sense. But there is something about when we gather, we hold each other up in our faith. There's a strength that comes when you're together with your brothers and sisters. Uh, my, my sons and I, we have some paddle boards. We live in Taylor County, Campbellsville. We got the Green River Lake. We were out last Sunday night on our paddle boards. We have a rule. Even though my sons and I, we can swim. We all have life jackets. We all have been out and trained on how to use this equipment, but we never, ever go out on the lake alone. Nobody gets to go on the lake alone because there's strength in numbers. If somebody gets out on the lake alone, even with a life jacket, even though they know how to swim, you get out a little too far, you get out a little bit beyond your way and something happens, something goes wrong and you have no one there to lift you up, you are in serious danger. And so we have a rule. It's the buddy system. You remember the buddy system? You know, little boys and girls in kindergarten always have to have a hand of a friend. You gotta go with your buddy. Who's your buddy? Stay with your buddy. Don't leave your buddy. Because there's strength in numbers. And in the walk of faith, in the walk with the Lord, there is strength in numbers. There is something about holding fast together, striving and encouraging each other together. Uh, Hebrews chapter 3, the author speaks about this kind of encouragement. Hebrews 3, 12 says, Take care, brothers and sisters. Take care, faith family, lest there be any of you, any of you, an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Listen to this. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We need to encourage each other and exhort each other and lift one another up every single day. Friends, the walk of faith was never ever designed to be a solitary walk. Never. The walk of faith was always designed to be done within the community and the faith family. We need each other to lift one another up. Amen? We can draw near together. We can hold the faith together. But let me finish this message with this final point. If the praise band wants to come and join me, they are invited to do so. 
The final mention there is let us stir up one another. Let us stir up one another. Verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Stirring up, stirring up. This is the only thing I can think to do right now in that message point, right? Stirring up. I, I brought something with me. Actually, I had to find a little something here at church. My boys and I both actually played Little League Baseball. Any, any former Little Leaguers out there? Little Leaguers? Okay, a few of you. My boys played and I played. I'm sorry I didn't bring the right color cap today. I just found this in the back here. But one of the things that happens in Little League Baseball, especially if a team is losing and it's getting close to the end of the game, somebody decides to put on a rally cap. Y'all know what a rally cap is? Well, this might be the best lesson of the day. I don't know what's going on here, Valley Creek. You flip your hat inside out and upside down and you kind of get your ball cap in a silly way. And I'm going to try this. This is not going to work great for my hairstyle, but that's okay. Put on your rally cap. I look silly, don't I? It's okay. You're going to remember this, Lord willing. And what happens is one kid on the bench puts on the rally cap and then the second kid and the third kid and the fourth kid. Eventually, all the kids have the rally caps on and what was maybe a quiet dugout now is a lively dugout. They're up on the fence. They're cheering for the batter. They're, they're giving the chance and making the little, little cheers. And if somebody gets on base, man, they're all oh, the rally caps on. We got a rally cap. We got a rally going. And maybe they get an out, but they're not dismayed. Eventually it trickles into the parents. Oh, the wild little league parents. And the parents get into it and, oh, we got a rally going, we got a rally. Everybody's get the rally cap on. And then maybe, just maybe, if it goes well enough, you get a hit and another hit and another hit. And the energy and the enthusiasm is all going because you got your rally cap on. Now, do you win all the games because you had a rally? No. But there was something about the stirring in the dugout when the rally caps got put on. And there's something that then excites and encourages and uplifts when the caps, everybody's caps are backwards and inside out and the crowd gets into it. Friends, when we come together in worship, yes, we are lifting high the name of Jesus. We are hearing from his word. We are gathering in spirit and truth. But one of the things that we're doing is we're putting on the rally cap. The rally cap of faith. The rally cap of worship. The rally cap to stir enthusiasm and excitement. I am stronger today in my walk with the Lord because I've been here with you and you're stronger today in your walk with the Lord because you've been here together with us. We're stirring and stirring each other toward more love for God, toward good works in our community. That's what happens when we gather together. But the, the caution here is in verse 25 when he says, and not neglecting to meet as some is in the habit of doing. Just as important it is to stir, there is a prevention of neglect. I want you to hear me here. I want to, I want to end on this point. This is not condemning. This is not judging. This is not legalism. When we choose to neglect the gathering together, this is not a mama who's got a sick baby and who misses church. This is not somebody who gets called into work on Sunday and you got to go. I'm thankful today that there are police officers, doctors, nurses working right now. 
So this is not a judgment of those who have to work on Sunday. It's not a judgment of those who, because their vacation included a weekend, they miss church on a Sunday. This is not about the times in a given year you come to church. That has nothing to do with that. What he's speaking about here is willful neglect as a habit and as a practice. It's not a Sunday you miss. It's a choice you've made to completely disconnect from the body. That is certainly something we need to be very cautious of. Because as much as we need to draw near together and as much as we need to hold fast our faith together and as much as we need to stir one another up, we need to do that by being together, gathering together, coming together, worshiping together, being in the spirit and presence of one another. It's what does it. We are a gathered community together. And I assure you, I promise you, if there becomes a stage in your life where you just completely disconnect by choice, does that mean you're no longer saved? No. But it means you're walking down a journey of greater susceptibility to sin, greater temptation, and the potential of turning further and further away from God. We stir one another up when we meet together. Friends, this is a message for us together. But I wonder if maybe this morning there's been a message or a challenge of you individually. Andrew, if you'll just begin leading us in this song of response and I'm gonna invite you just to bow your heads for a moment. Maybe this morning in hearing the word together, you would say, actually, this is an area of my life that really need to think about offer to the Lord drawing near and worship holding together the faith and certainly not neglecting to gather but stirring and encouraging one another just as you're reflecting this morning without legalism without judgmentalism without feeling condemned I just want you to think and pray and ask God have you made a commitment to being together with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Is that a priority in your life? There's so many benefits. There's so many positive things that come of it. But more than anything else, we need each other to walk this journey together. We need the strength from one another, the spirit that comes together when we join together. Maybe you just need to say, Lord, help me make this a greater priority in my life. Just as we have this moment of quiet, I'm going to say a prayer. And if you need to come after I pray to this altar and confess, repent, draw near to God, you are invited to do so. You can do that where you're seated. You can sing and let worship fill your heart and your soul as we stir one another together in singing and in worship. However God is speaking to your heart, I want you to respond appropriately now. So Lord, we come to you as brothers and sisters together. And I pray your spirit would continue to move in this time of response. Lord, if there be any decision that needs to be made, any 
commitment that needs to be laid before you, I pray you would cause us to do it boldly and respond appropriately by faith. Lord, we thank you for bringing us together today. I pray your spirit continue to move in this time. In Jesus' name, amen.